Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic we're going to be exploring today contributes to nothing less than the future of healthcare. We're going to be discussing innovation uh, with the chief innovation officer of one of the leading and most innovative hospital systems in the country, if not in the world, which is Geisinger Health. Our distinguished guest today is Dr. Karen Murphy. Dr. Murphy is the executive vice president and the chief innovation officer, as well as the founding director of the Steele Institute for Health Innovation at Geisinger. Before joining Geisinger, she served as Pennsylvania's secretary of health, addressing the most significant health issues facing the state, including the opioid epidemic. And prior to her role as secretary, Dr. Murphy served as director of the State Innovation Models Initiative at the Centers for the Medicare and Medicaid Services, where she led a nearly billion-dollar CMS investment designed to accelerate healthcare innovation across the United States. Dr. Murphy earned her MBA from Marywood University, her doctorate in business administration from the Temple University Fox School of Business, and she also holds a diploma in nursing from the Scranton State Hospital School of Nursing. An author and national speaker on health policy and innovation, Dr. Murphy serves as a clinical faculty member at the Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine and as an associate faculty member in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. As the Chief Innovation Officer for Geisinger, Dr. Murphy leads Geisinger's deep commitment to innovation, which is one of the organization's four principal values, along with kindness, excellence, and learning to fulfill their mission of caring. Karen, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on Creating a New Healthcare. How are you doing today? I'm great, and thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. That last line I, I, I read of your introduction, I just find it fascinating, the four principles that Geisinger has, the kindness, excellence, and learning, which are, are really profound, and the fact that they have innovation as one of the four pillars or one of the four principles. So my first question to you is, how do you and how does how does Geisinger think about or define innovation? And secondly, why is innovation so critical, so so core to Geisinger? So that's a great question, Sev. And I, when we first started the Steele Institute of Health Innovation, that was one of our, our first exercises was to define what does innovation mean to Geisinger? So we came up with the definition and it really guides our work that innovation at Geisinger is defined as a fundamentally different approach to solving a problem that has quantifiable outcomes. And the purpose of defining innovation at Geisinger is really to, to be the guide star, to say any work in the Steele Institute is going to be solving problems. So we're not chasing the shiny new nickel, we're looking at the numerous problems that the industry has and trying to develop fundamentally different approaches to solving those problems. At Geisinger, as you mentioned, national reputation for innovation. Um, I frequently kid that um, individuals at Geisinger think they're operating when in fact they're innovating. So the purpose of uh, the Steele Institute in, at Geisinger is really to harness with discipline and focus 
solving those problems in a fundamentally different way. So you really are defining innovation as, as you say, not going after the shiny nickel, but really the sort of practical problems you're facing today. And off of that, uh, let me ask you a question. I mean, so many questions off of that, but first of all, what is the Steel Institute spelled S-T-E-E-L-E? It started with when you came on board and, and what is it and why did you have to create an institute and how does it actually help promote and advance the innovation? So the Steele Institute is named after a former uh, president and CEO, Glenn Steele, who really, believe I believe, began the quest of innovation uh, at Geisinger, which has continued in his legacy. And the purpose of developing an institute was really to, again, focus on problem solving, provide a framework for innovation and really establish an innovative agenda going forward. Within the Steel Institute, we concentrate our work on four pillars. We talk about health, which our work in that pillar includes innovative approaches to population health and social determinants, such as our fresh food pharmacy using food as medicine, such as our free to be mom program, which is an innovative approach to moms with opioid use disorder, We have springboard health, transportation pilots, and all different innovations really looking at how do we improve population health and social determinants by taking a a different approach. Then our next pillar is the care delivery transformation pillar. In that pillar, we look at ways that we can fundamentally change the way healthcare is delivered. Currently, we're working on um, two large initiatives. One is the Chronic Disease Command Center, where we're developing a new model of managing chronic diseases that leverages artificial intelligence and machine learning, along with remote patient monitoring, patient-reported outcomes. Um, You've heard of command centers on the inpatient side. Well, we're actually going to take the approach of a virtual command center, leveraging our data, leveraging technology to be able to reach more individuals, many more individuals than we could in the traditional chronic disease management model and leverage um, leverage the assets that we have so that we can improve health out- outcomes and lower cost. And then another initiative we're working on in collaboration with the Pennsylvania Department of Health is the Pennsylvania Rural Health Transformation Initiative, where we're piloting, testing, innovative uh, payment model for rural hospitals that is a multi-payer global payment that focuses much more on community health as opposed to clinical services, and really looking for a sustainable business model for rural hospitals that hopefully will serve as a model across the country. And then next, we have a value pillar where we're looking at innovative payment models, along with we have an applied behavioral insights unit where we use nudge theory to encourage better decision-making among patients and clinicians. And then finally, we're leveraging the environment to improve health. So this year, we're looking to develop a broad agenda on how we can go into our communities and leverage the environment to improve health outcomes. We also have a product innovation team comprised of 26 software engineers that develop new applications that are both patient and provider facing. And we have an artificial intelligence and machine learning lab. And we also have the data, the data shop that has 
over 23 years of electronic health record along with 60 other sources that we can use to, to inform our work and really leverage the data that we have to improve health outcomes and lower cost. Wow. I'm a bit speechless, actually, which may be a first on this podcast series in the past two years. Those four pillars are uh, amazing and cover such a broad swath. You, you talked about the pillar of population health and social determinants of health, which included your springboard health. This is the transformation of Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is, is, is taking a whole town, a whole community and transforming its health care and the freedom to moms. The, the second pillar you talked about was this care delivery with your AI-enabled uh, chronic disease command center. And I, I actually do want to dive into that maybe first. That that just just strikes me as, as, as something so radically new and different. Uh, but you also are engaged in that, P, in that Pennsylvania Rural Health Transformation Initiative. Your third pillar, using cutting-edge behavioral economics theory, the so-called nudge theory, both to help change physician behavior as well as patient behavior. And then, of course, your fourth pillar, environmental. And, and again, you, you mentioned the fact that you have 26 software engineers and doing product innovation, and you've got artificial intelligence lab. So I have to ask you this before I dive in. You said a moment ago that you weren't going after the shiny object, but I, I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of like stellar. This is Star Wars stuff. I mean, it's it's really, in many ways, far ahead of the average and, and again, using cutting edge technology. So when you say you're not going after the shiny star, tell, tell me what you mean by that, because it, it does seem like you're really you're really reaching into the future and bringing the future into the present, because some might argue, uh, let's wait on AI. It's not quite ready yet. In fact, I just spoke to Eric Topol and, you know, a lot of the stuff is is not quite, you know, prime time. There's a lot more hype than than actually is there. This is so this is very, very hard, you know, roll up your sleeves work to to put AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning into the day-to-day -day work we're doing. Behavioral economics, again, very, very hard work as well to make that practical. So how do you, what do you mean that you're not going after the kind of shiny object? What do you, what do you mean you're trying to solve today's problems? And yet, how do you reconcile that? I'm just, I'm just curious. Sure. So I think a lot of times, uh, particularly in innovation, there may be a shiny new object in technology that then we back into say, what can we use this for? The difference I think in our approach is yes, we're using artificial intelligence and machine learning. We're using other types of technologies such as robotic process automation, but we're solving problems. So we're not saying here, what, what can we do with artificial intelligence and machine learning? We're saying, the problem, and I'll use the Chronic Disease Management Command Center, for example, the problem we're trying to solve is how do we take care of our chronic disease population in a much more holistic way than we do currently as we isolate diabetes, heart disease, hypertension. So how can we, in a holistic approach, leverage the tools that are available to us to solve this problem of chronic diseases. So for example, how can we look at the 23 years of healthcare data to say what, where, what indicators were present before we actually saw the exacerbation of the disease that we could now apply, that we could monitor patients remotely 
and we could we could intervene before that exacerbation takes place. So while yes, we're using new technology, the work that we're doing is actually solving problems. We're not looking at the technology for the technology in and of itself. We're using it as an enabler to solve the problems that we're facing. Yeah, no, and I, I truly appreciate that perspective. Thank you for, for clarifying that. I think that's spot on. One could get very, very easily lost in, in the technology uh, and in the innovation and sort of focusing on the problems is the, is the critical issue at hand. And, but you're at the same time, you're transforming healthcare. You're not doing it the same way you, you did it before. It's a, it's a new way to do things. And, and like you say, it's technology enabled, it's data enabled. What um, I, I'm really, really curious, and, and this has actually come up in conversation before, so this is bizarrely timely, the Chronic Disease Command Center, can you describe that? Is that already built or is that in, in process? And what does that look like? What, what does that look like? What are you doing and what does it help you do? We're building. Um, so we're in the building phase. The vision for what it will look like is that we will be able to manage a much larger number of patients using a much smaller workforce so that we can really dedicate pivot and dedicate the workforce to be at the bedside or to be in a patient's home when patients need that one-to-one touch intervention. But our goal here, the true north, is that we would, number one, be treating patients in a holistic way again that we're not just treating a patient who's a diabetic, also has heart disease, but we're being the patient's being monitored by a cardiologist and an endocrinologist and perhaps another primary care doctor, and we're providing silos of information to those physicians. Instead of that, we're looking at this is the patient that has multiple chronic conditions, and what how can we manage this patient? in a much more effective way, both in cost and quality. And then we're looking at what can we learn about chronic diseases. There are many indicators that patients really, we don't collect patient reported outcomes, we believe to the extent that could really inform the way we care for these patients. So we're really going to hone in on how do we continually leveraging technology, uh, can have a continuous conversation with our patients as to how they're feeling and what they feel before perhaps they either adv- go into an advanced disease state or an exacerbation. And then finally, we believe that this will be a way that we can really leverage what's available to us today in a much more cost-effective manner. So there is a certain amount of, uh, it, it sounds like you're, there's a certain amount of predictive capability that's being built into this so you can see when someone's, something's happening ahead of time. So be, I'm, I'm assuming prevent them from having a emergency room visit or hospitalization by noticing the technology is picking that up. So in the command center, does it is it really literally a command center where there are, you know, when you say that word, I think of people sitting in a room monitoring screens that span across, uh, you know, almost kind of like a space command center. What, what, are the, what are they, who's in the command center? Is it a virtual command center, a real command center? What are they looking at? Sure, it's virtual. So we believe that through the use of this technology is that right now when we think of our chronic disease management models, they involve care managers reaching out on an individual basis 
to have a touch point with the patient, um, either to say, how are you feeling? Or if your weight is up, you may want to increase your Lasix. But a one-to-one intervention is limited by your human resource capabilities and also affordability. What we picture is a virtual command center that we will have fewer, there will actually be the necessity to have fewer one-to-one interventions. Thereby, we will be able to monitor many more patients in the thousands, actually many more patients than we could doing a chronic disease management in the traditional way. That sounds fantastic. It sounds so needed. I talk about a problem that has to be solved. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there just aren't enough care managers to deliver the care we need. And if this if this uh, solves for that problem, that would be fantastic. In terms of new care models, is you know, in terms of treatment, do you are you working on things in that regard as well? So at Geisinger, we have, as I said, we we sometimes call it operations, but it's really innovation. We are um, we've already executed primary care redesign, uh, a program that allows physicians to spend more time with patients and also in, engages teams in caring for patients. Um, our, we've just celebrated almost a one-year anniversary of our Geisinger at Home uh, model, which is a hospital at home model, um, which has been tremendously effective. We, we have about 4,000 patients uh, currently enrolled in that. And, and can you, let me just stop there because uh, so people use that that word or that terminology, what what exactly is the Geisinger at hospital at home model? What, is, what does that mean? So it means that high-risk patients were identified, high-risk patients for disease state and also those that tended to frequent the emergency room or readmissions. Those patients were identified and a team, including a physician, nurses, community health workers, visit the patients at home and will be able to do certain functions that were traditionally completed in, say, an ED visit, say the IV dose of Lasix or an intravenous fluid for dehydration. We can now do that in the home by sending this team out. So it's a multidisciplinary team that visits the patient in the home and provides low, what I would call low acuity care that has traditionally been delivered in the hospital, but is now delivered in the home. And is that triggered? Because I know some some programs like the Brigham, uh, patients come into the ED and they're starting to actually, instead of admitting them to the hospital, they'd actually admit them to home with a sort of virtual hospital at home team that sets them up literally at home as if they were in a hospital room and then monitors it, monitors them and visits them, et cetera. This is, is yours that, or are they, are they the trigger being literally that almost again, another predictive, uh, is it a predictive? Yeah. It, it is. So they're enrolled proactively. Got it. Prior to, before they'd ever hit the emergency room. And is this, if I was one of these patients, would I, would it be technology that would pick up that I'm a high risk or would my doctor refer me into the program or both? It would be done through data analysis and also physician referral. So you really, you know, again, one thing that's coming through is this idea of using the data and analytics to predict sort of the rising risk. Am I, is that, is that right? That's correct. What's, and I know this, this may be a rhetorical question, but I'm not sure it is actually. 
what's the value of doing that? What's the value of predicting and whether it be in your, in your uh, command center or in this uh, hospital home model, why is that a good thing? First and foremost, it is to prevent the advancement of disease or the exacerbation of an existing disease. And patients, of course, our goal is to keep the patient, our goal is health. So we're trying to prevent the illness or the exacerbation from taking place while providing a much better experience for patients if they can remain in their home as opposed to a repeated emergency room visit or hospital stay. In addition, we've got tremendous support from families, patients' families to this program. It's certainly much easier on them in terms of having their loved one being cared for in their home as opposed to the burden of of being hospitalized. And so I have to ask you this question, which is, there's a, obviously a tremendous amount of upfront investment that you and your and your leadership together have made to invest in all of this, and as you say, to prevent the advancement of illness, and therefore to prevent patients from going to emergency rooms and specialty offices and having high cost tests and imaging and hospitalizations, and so there's a downstream revenue loss there, and so. How do you, as an organization, from a financial business perspective, how do you talk about that or think about that? Sure. And that, that's a great question. I think first, our, our true north is value, is to actually go into value-based payment arrangements with both our health plan. So we're an integrated delivery network. So we have a health plan. So some of these individuals are enrolled in that health plan. But also, it is our, our desire to enter value arrangements to the extent possible with all of our payers. So you're, you're aligning your mission with your clinical model, with your contracting. In terms of the contracting, the clinical enterprise is reimbursed in a value-based arrangement with our health plan. And our goal is to, our goal is to do what's right for the patient and also to move as quickly as we can to value. Now, and this may be moving outside of the focus on on innovation, but you have such a a strong background in in health and and at a state level and national level. What, What do you say to, you know, Geisinger is in the unique position that for a long time it's had a health plan embedded within it. And uh, there are a few organizations around the country that are in similar positions like Intermountain. So you, you are at an advantage from a financial perspective in terms of what you save through the health plan, plan could be brought back into you know, the, the healthcare system and the provider side. What do you say to organizations that don't have a health plan? Do you think that they're at a disadvantage in terms of not being able to move, as you said, so quickly towards value-based care? I'm encouraged by, you know, some of the recent announcements that have come out of CMMI on direct provider contracting, which is a value-based payment model. I think as the healthcare industry, we have to lead, and it is important for us to, to lead the movement towards value and really to work with our third-party payers to be able to say, let's construct a value proposition here 
that improves health and decreased cost. And I, I do, I am encouraged. I think that the movement towards value is starting to pick up, pick up and advance. And I think the more that we adopt care models that are value-based, it, it is very difficult for a health system to, to move to value-based payment and uh, or uh, delivery models without corresponding payment at, to do that at a large scale. So I think as healthcare providers, we have to work with our payers to develop these models and to test these models so that we can move to value and ultimately have a win for the patients and certainly lower the cost of care. I want to cover, jump to the value pillar with the behavioral economics and the nudge. And and but before we get there, I want to ask you about the, you know, the product the product innovation team or teams that you have. The 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 twenty six software engineers. That's a lot of software engineers. Uh, it seems to me, I'm, I you know, for a hospital system, there's so much out there that's already been developed in terms of software and apps and platforms. You know, when I think about this, there's the sort of make versus buy, and and I think, and let me just put it out there and, and let you react to this. You know, I think that um, our core strength is not in necessarily in uh, software development or AI development, uh, and so w- why not go and purchase some of that capability and then adopt it or adapt it into our systems? Do you have a different way of thinking about that and a different approach? And and if so, I'm I'm really really curious to learn from you. So I, I would, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and we always do the analysis build versus buy, because as you have noted, the industry has really evolved over the last three or four years that there are many products on the market. And our position is, if the product is on the market and it meets our needs, then we don't build. However, we're, the product innovation team does more than just develop applications. So they are our design process for all innovation. So they participate with us on design. I would say they are, their talents, they have a broad set of skill sets that they can assist us in, say we did purchase one of those applications that you had just suggested. They can help us with the integration in the electronic health record, for example. So they have a broad range of skills. I would not say that their uh, mission is just to build an app. They are a supporting partner in all of our innovation efforts. They also, for example, serve as technical subject matter experts as we develop artificial intelligence initiatives. So critically important that the artificial intelligence initiatives, whether they be with outside vendors or whether we be develop them in within the organization, it's very important that we have that work integrated with our clinical workflow. And this group of product innovators, they are very familiar with working with clinicians and are, are really the they really serve as a really strong infrastructure support team for the Steel Institute. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Your internal software folks are, are, are really helping to kind of adapt, integrate, uh, deploy, 
you know, some of the software that you're purchasing, the AI software and products that you purchase. And so they're, they're like an in-house team for you. That's correct. Now, how about uh, outside of the software engineers, and you, you said they have a broad skill set, uh, other institutions I've spoken to, I'm thinking in particular Jefferson Health, I had the opportunity to speak to Steve Clasco. He, he has a, a, a ton of designers and you know, strategy designers, uh, experienced designers, product designers. Do you have, do you have designers on or is this the, some of the function that these, the engineers are serving? That's right. That's the function that this team serves. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. How much are you using AI-enabled technology? I mean, it's, it's in your command center. It's in a lot of your, like, are there other examples of, of where you're using it? Sure. So um, on, earlier this week or last week, we had an announcement that we're partnering um, with a company called Medial Early Signs. And they we're partnering with them to look using algal markers to identify patients at risk for GI disorders such as cancer. And that partnership has been a very beneficial partnership and will continue to evolve. And the company is the company partners with our team and their data scientist on looking for applications to solve our problems using artificial intelligence and machine learning. Nice. And and I'm sorry, what was the name of that company again? Medial Early Signs. Okay, Medial Early Signs. I think I, I think I saw something, an announcement uh, about that. Going back to your 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 value pillar, the behavioral economics. So what are some examples? Do you have initiatives and any any successful outcomes yet in terms of using behavioral economics to uh, help either providers uh, change their behaviors or, or patients change behaviors? So we have a number of initiatives underway. We have not reported the results as of yet because we're still in the phase of development and evaluation. But the idea really is to apply nudge theory to everything that we do in terms of trying to encourage better decision-making among patients and patients and providers. So we look at everything from the structure of decisions in an electronic health record to communications, the way a letter is worded, or the communication approach to determine what's more effective. So there's a, there's a, a, a we have, we've gone heavy into the Applied Behavioral Insights Unit and have invested and believe that the team will really be able to produce some significant results and better outcomes uh, as we evolve. So stay tuned. We'll have those to talk about. I'm waiting to hear that. Now, are you are you partnering with folks, experts who do this, like the folks out of Penn Med? Uh, have you brought in internal experts uh, in, in this, or or how how are you how are you developing this expertise? So we have internal experts that are behavioral economists, bioethicists, and we also they also are in. I mean, you know, Penn obviously the work that Kevin Volpe has done has led this work in the industry, and I believe that many institutions are watching Penn and collaborating with Penn, but we have our own uh, team of experts within Geisner. That's great. So it's, it's you know, one of the sort of sub-themes as I'm listening to you, there is this theme of clearly, and I want to ask you about this, uh, you, you're, there's no question you used the word partnering with outside vendors, and so you're working closely with, with them. And at the same time, you're also housing the expertise as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a one-two punch. Is that is that a, a very intentional uh, approach? Absolutely. We 
have acknowledged that there are industries that have been innovative far ahead of where healthcare is. I think healthcare in the diet, in the uh, clinical medicine and science and development of technology that's you know diagnostic. I think we've been certainly very innovative, but in terms of applying innovation to business processes or thinking of different ways, fundamentally different ways to change the way we deliver care, we've been a little slow on that as an industry. So we think that the part there's a power in partnership, and we are continually looking for like-minded partners that will help us accelerate to our true north. You know, I, that other theme that you mentioned before, and you said it so eloquently, it was such a nice phrase, the idea that um, people believe they're operating, but they're actually innovating. Uh, could you say that again? It just, it, it just was a theme that I didn't want folks to miss. So at Geisinger, I, I do believe that general operations frequently hear that they are actually innovating in the way that they are living their day-to-day roles. And that, I think that's a, re, that's a result of years of building culture into the culture of innovation into the culture of the organization. It's in the DNA of the organization. So where Geisinger at Home, for example, Geisinger at Home was um, started outside of the Steel Institute. Now that's a very innovative approach to care delivery model. But those that were working in the health plan saw an opportunity and just moved to start the opportunity in order to improve the care of patients in their homes and really improve the the way that we took care of those patients. So that's a terrific example, I think, of those that are really operating, but they're innovating at the same time. So it's important for the Steel Institute to really take on those projects that are perhaps at a level that, you know, where innovation, you have some failures, you have some successes. So we have to be willing to be in that space that is willing to take the chance and to develop new approaches that some are going to work and some aren't. Yeah, I think that's another, you know, it seems to me a, a, a challenge in, in applying innovation is that I think we're less, what's the word, we're less welcoming of, of this idea that you're going to try a number of things and not all of them are going to succeed. And uh, but the point is that's, you're just never sure which ones are going to work. What is the the relationship of the Steel Institute to the provider? Is is the Steel Institute part of the hospital or healthcare system? Is it part of the the payer side or is it in between? Where where does it sit? It's enterprise wide. Okay. So we have a steering committee for the Steel Institute that has representation for all the part all the parts of the all aspects of the enterprise. So we have a representative from the medical college. We have representation from the health plan. We have representation from the clinical enterprise, um, nursing, and all aspects um, so that we're sure that we're covering and connecting with the um, enterprise-wide. And and when you say the Steel Institute takes on a project, so there there are innovations that are happening throughout the organization. It's just such a, as you say, it's, it's for so many decades, it's been part of the culture. And so there's, there are all these initiatives happening. Do you, do you, when, does the Institute 
uh, assume responsibility for all of them, some of them, or or do you serve as a guide? What what's the relationship of what the institute does from the entire enterprise or the providers? So we serve as a consultative service mm -hmm. across the organization. If the organ if there's somewhere in the organization that they want to co-develop a product, for example then our representatives would go, a representative of the Steel Institute would guide that process with, may not necessarily be on the ground developing, but certainly would guide the process in a consultative fashion. Why we did the pillars was really to focus our work, because I think you had mentioned early on, and, and certainly in innovation, it's very easy to be a mile long and an inch deep. So the reason that we have focused on these pillars is so that our work is focused. And the projects that we're working on within the Steel Institute all fall under one of those pillars. Let me ask you a question. Where, where else around the country? I know that in, when you came on board and as you were developing the strategy and the approach, you went out and actually traveled to, my recollection was you said dozens, maybe 30 uh, other healthcare systems across the country and, uh, and looked at what they were doing. And so I'd be interested in hearing you know, at a high level, where you learned from, where are some of the shining, other shining stars in addition to Geisinger that, you know, you borrowed from? I would, I, I did have contact with over 35 institutions and individuals, and I, I wouldn't name um, one because it, it wouldn't be fair of me to do. I learned from every single visit um, that I did. It was well worth, well worth the time to listen to those that our experts, and part of that was not just to see what was happening, but really was to guide, take a look back and say, what did we do right in the last 10 years? What did we do that, what could we do better? And what should we be do, do going forward? And, and I will tell you that really informed the need to have a definition for innovation, to lend the discipline that we're trying to apply and the focus. And it was extremely, uh, extremely helpful to really get a feel for uh, what's happening uh, across the country. And since then, I've um, joined some professional organizations that have chief innovation officers as their membership. And uh, the work that's happening across the country is, is really remarkable. Mm. Yeah, it's great to hear. W what is a in your learnings talking to others and in your own experience what's a major challenge or pitfall that you've come across in doing this work that might be helpful to others who are on this journey i think the major challenge is to, to devise a plan that will really produce meaningful outcomes so there's small wins that you can achieve but if your goal is really to meaningfully change an outcome, whether it be quality, experience, cost. It, innovation takes time. It takes a lot of work in the design phase. And I think the challenge is, you know, in healthcare, we have the desire for quick wins. And that quick win, you know, could have a three to six month turnaround time, which is really very unrealistic. And And I would say, if you have a quick turnaround in six months, you're probably not going to come out with a very meaningful outcome. But I think that's a challenge because it's hard for people to understand. There's not, you have to be a believer in innovation that you can make a difference because 
there's many that think that, you know, the way we're operating is just fine. And we can take an approach like performance improvement and we'll reach our goals. I happen to think there's a place for performance improvement, but I don't think that performance improvement alone will really result in the fundamentally changes, the fundamental changes that we need to make uh, in our healthcare industry to reach our goals. Wow, that was incredibly helpful and and really well said. Thank you for that 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 piece of wisdom. It does take a little bit of belief, but I think to your point, uh, other industries have understood this for quite some time, and it's uh, I think relatively still relatively new to to uh, healthcare and hospital systems. Last question: you you mentioned in our correspondence this issue of acceleration in healthcare. What do you mean by that, and and why is that important for leaders to understand that? For innovation acceleration, the the current system is unsustainable. I mean, that we cannot sustain from a cost perspective, also from a patient experience perspective. I, I don't believe that the current system with its complexities and I would say the siloed nature of healthcare delivery is sustainable. So I think we have to accelerate the work that we're doing. I think we have to, the innovative work that we're doing. I think we have to accelerate the move to value-based payment. I think it's going to be very hard to achieve our goals without uh, moving to value. I think if we continue to pay on a fee-for-service basis, we are not going to accelerate change. Mm-hmm. That's really, again, incredibly well said. Thank you for your wisdom. You know, it's just so so much fun to, to listen to you and, and pick your brain and, and hear and learn from your experience. Is there, before I, I wrap up and we wrap up here, is is there anything that uh, any sort of final word or any any message, any any question we haven't covered or issue that you'd like to share with everyone? No, I think I'm good, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So anyway, uh, thank you so much, Karen. I, I really want to thank you for for being part of creating new healthcare and, and bringing us uh, just again just such fresh perspectives and and your new new ideas and and again such bold solutions in in your quest and our quest to advance a sustainable value based consumer oriented healthcare system and as always Karen I, I on on this program I, I turn to the audience and I thank uh, all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or supporting those who are directly taking care of patients I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and also recognize how critically important and challenging that work is. But again, how important it is to individuals, their families, our communities, and society in general. I, I do hope this podcast provides you with some useful information. Uh, I can't imagine you didn't you didn't walk away from this podcast with some useful information. I know I've just been taking copious notes as, as Karen has been speaking and uh, also come away with encouragement and inspiration. So again, Karen, thank you so much. And uh, for everyone out there, this is Zev Neuwirth on Creating New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.